Cubicle Nate Newlings recorded on the 10th of October 2019. This is my little corner of the internet where I do my best not to bore you with the things that tickle my nerdy nerve endings. Cobbled together for your displeasure, Linux Symphony, Caddy Removable Storage on my E6440, Power Tools, a Biddle Follow-Up, and my OpenSUSE Corner. I took my kids to the symphony this past Sunday. It was hugely beneficial to have the kids experience a symphonic performance. It made for a pretty decent lesson about the benefits of working together. When the orchestral members were warming up before they began the performance, there is a cacophony of sounds, and although individually the instruments sound nice, together it just sounds like a mess. When the performance started and the conductor did his conducting, keeping everybody on pace and on the same sheet of music, as it were, you could listen and imagine the story of events in the mind's eye. Everything from serious and intense melodies to whimsical, light-hearted tones. Although my kids could only manage to sit through an hour of the performance, there were a lot of lessons to be extracted from the benefits of working together. So I couldn't help but think how this can be applied to the Linux community is as such. When we work together in harmony with one another, we can make for some amazing results. Whether it is the latest Ubuntu Mate, the newest release of Plasma, or helping someone through a tech question, by working together in a kind of respectful tone, we can achieve great things. I am of the belief that all Linux is good Linux, and by making any one aspect better, we make it all better, regardless of the flavor of Linux or desktop you choose. So let's make some beautiful Linux music together. A couple of years ago, when I was searching for my new primary machine, I didn't take that choice lightly. I wanted a lot of flexibility in a fairly small package, and since I like to test things in VMs, I wanted to have the option of a third hard drive. What I discovered is that it doesn't seem to matter how much storage I have available, I seem to fill it up, and I'm starting to think that maybe I have a problem. I do clean up my drives from time to time, but I find that the more space I have, the sloppier I am about cleaning up the cruft. I'm preparing to build a system with a heck of a lot more storage, and after making my hard drive purchases, I realized that I may have purchased two small drives. If this is the case, I think I have a strategy to compensate for this. I did create a YouTube video of the ease of using the drive bay for additional storage. I knew it would be a short hardware thing, and also it would provide me an opportunity to edit something together in Caden Live. I learned a couple things in the process. A noisy house is a bad thing, and a bad mic is a bad thing. Having to crank up the gain on the audio so I could actually be heard on the video did make for some less than stellar results. I did enjoy making the video, so I'm going to try and make some more videos from time to time, whenever I have the time. An unintended consequence of having this extra drive in the computer is I find I'm rarely using that optical drive anymore. Perhaps, whether I would like to admit it or not, my needs for optical media is fading. I recently changed over all my cordless power tools to the DeWalt 20 volt max line. I do spend a lot of time outside of the cubicle doing non-cubicle activities. I have recorded much of it and scripted some things out to share my findings and reasonings from the perspective of a Linux geek. Although power tools are not strictly a nerdy activity, there's a lot of nerdiness to be had. My specific high points of what I find is the price per tool combined with a watt hour of usage per charge and number of charges per battery made it the best bang for your buck. The other main factor is the variety of tools I have available to me with the one battery platform. In an effort to simplify my life, this is what I've chosen and so far it has exceeded my expectations. So more on that in the future.
One of the things I like about Big Daddy Linux Live is the discussion we have on there. Some of it, I don't have much to contribute, as it's either outside of my area of expertise, if, if I even have one of those, or maybe I'm still forming my opinions. There are two topics that really engaged me last Saturday. The first being developing on Linux, and the second on virtual memory, or in Linux, called Swap. On development, there's a lot of negativity toward Electron applications from some in the Linux community. In short, an Electron application is the cross-platform thing that allows developers to make an application for Linux, Mac OS, and Windows. So one of those things is really cool, and the other two, you know, not so much to me. The benefit is, it is an easy way to maintain a single code base and maximize the number of platforms that can be reached. Time is limited for developers, unquestionably. And to yield the maximum result from the least amount of effort, this makes sense. I can't argue with that logic at all. There are drawbacks, and one is that Electron is quite inefficient. The storage space it takes up is fairly extensive, and the RAM usage is also kind of weighty. With newer computers, though, this is not really an issue. If you have 16 or 32 gigabytes of RAM, this isn't an issue at all. You have all kinds of headroom. If you have 2 or 4 gigabytes of RAM, this could potentially be an issue. When you boil it down to brass tacks, Linux, or all operating systems for that matter, need applications. If you don't have an application, what's really the point of the operating system? I mean, really. I mean, it's fun to play with an operating system, but if you can't do anything with it, then it's just a toy. So if I had to choose between an Electron application that is a little bit weighty and no application at all, I'm going to take that weighty application. Some of the Electron applications that I use are CPod for catching all my favorite podcasts, Discord for chatting on the internet with people. I also just started playing with Visual Studio Code, which is also an Electron application. Ideally, I'd prefer everything just be written in Qt or Qt and everything run in Linux using KDE Plasma, but that's just not going to happen. So Electron applications are A-OK -okay in my book. A discussion that started on Discourse and made its way into the show was about using Swap in Linux when there's so much RAM available in modern systems. The question is, to swap or not to swap, and how much swap, and what kind of swap? I recommend watching Biddle from the 5th of October 2019 for an extended discussion, or going to the Biddle discourse for opinions outside of mine. Swap reminds me a lot of the bank switching that was common on 8-bit computers of old, except instead of keeping the data on a switchable bank, this is putting it on the hard drive or SSD and swapping it into RAM. The issue I find with swap is if you're really taxing your system, you can end up with having a lot of disk thrashing that can really bring your system down to a crawl. For my primary machine, I've set aside 17 gigabytes of swap space, just in case. I've never used all of it, but I have used it on more than one occasion, maybe due to an Electron application or two. And it has come in handy when I haven't paid attention to memory usage when using Google Chrome. The swap space on the two Acer Aspire 1 netbooks I've set up for my kids gets used pretty regularly, especially when using a browser. Since I've been using Linux now for quite some time, I have the space to spare, and I do take advantage of the hibernate to disk or SSD function from time to time. I set my system up with a swap partition. It is an old-fashioned and inflexible approach. Am I okay with this? Yep. The benefits of the swap file are probably greater, and since OpenSUSE makes it very easy to set up a swap partition, and I know what I'm getting into with it, that's what I'll stick with for now. Could that change in the future? Absolutely. Now for my little OpenSUSE corner, an often forgotten bit of OpenSUSE that makes it rather remarkable is how closely the Leap project is with the SUSE Linux Enterprise project. One of my good e-friends, Mauro, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, although it would kind of make me a bad e-friend if I didn't say his name correctly, wouldn't it? 
Maro does this Linux thing as a profession, not a hobby and home gamer like me, was telling me how easy it is to move a client from an unsupported OpenSUSE Leap system to a SUSE Linux Enterprise support contract without disruption. I know this is not possible with CentOS and Red Hat, but with Canonical's Ubuntu, it's the same distribution. What I find interesting here is the different executions of each of the distributions for integrating community-based projects with the commercial offerings. My preference, of course, is the OpenSUSE model as it appears to be a cleaner approach, although I do see the benefits of the canonical method of just having the one distribution and no difference between commercial and community outside of having a support contract. There have been a lot of snapshots that have been coming down with Tumbleweed. I'm only going to cover four. 2019, 25, 26, and 27. Many updates, including GCC 9, version 9.2.1, GCC 8, version 8.3.1, and GCC 7, version 7.4.1, have come down. Plasma Frameworks 5.62.0, Plasma Workspace 5.16.5, Xorg X11 Server 1.20.5, which, you know, that is nice to know that X11 Server is not dead yet. Kernel 5.3.1, and several bug fixes around Yast and Pulse Audio, and bugs around not being able to duplex print with Ocular, have been fixed. The Tumbleweed Snapshot Reviewer gives 2019-0923 a stable score of 97, 25 a stable score of 98, 26 a stable score of 98, and 27 a moderate score of 83. One of the beauties of Tumbleweed is you can lock your system to a snapshot of your choosing, and if you have that activated, very easy to run the command sudo tumbleweed switch, tack tack install, and then whatever version you like. If you want to stick with the last stable score of 98, you could lock it on to 2019.09.26. You can check the show notes for exactly how to do that. If you're a member of the OpenSUSE project, the time to cast your vote for a name change is now. As of today, the polls are open. I did cast my vote. And after reading through the mailing list, there's a little bit of heat concerning that issue. Ultimately, the hope is that it is a clear either in favor or not in favor of the name change. If it's closer to a 50-50 split, that can potentially be more problematic. I personally am hoping that we just keep the status quo. Although I do agree that some of the legal constraints with the relationship to SUSE can be problematic for the end user experience, things like codecs and such... There are some benefits with the brand association, especially in respect to the SUS Linux Enterprise to leap for those that are in the space for selling solutions. The 6th OpenSUSE Asia Summit just concluded this past weekend. It took place in uh, Bali, Indonesia. I was going to say where, at what university, but I don't want to sound like an idiot. There were a number of participants that traveled from 20 different nations around the world to join the students at the university. So the students there not only made their first contributions to the open source technology, but also volunteered with running the summit. So it was a great experience to be had by all. If you'd like to take a shot at saying the name of the place and university, I have a link in my show notes. The beta version of Plasma 5.17 was released with new features and improvements such as per-screen fractional scaling on Wayland and a user interface for configuring permissions of Thunderbolt devices and network statistics in K-SysGuard. Due to increase in user privileges with the feature, it's being examined by SUSE security team. OpenQA found a few bugs with GIMP. Some applications were mixing Karagami and Qt widgets that were breaking some keyboard shortcuts, which have been addressed and will be fixed in the final release of Plasma 5.17. 
So if you are interested in testing the 5.17 beta of Plasma in either Leap or Tumbleweed, those testing repositories can very easily be added. That information is available on the OpenSUSE.org software database for KDE repositories. There's a link in my show notes. Leap 15.2 will see some major version upgrades of many components, such as new version of the Linux kernel, Qt 5.12 LTS, Plasma 5.18 LTS, and the latest KDE frameworks and applications. A full Wayland session that arrived in Tumbleweed a few weeks ago will be available in Leap 15.2. Testers are welcome to ensure the best user experience possible. Qt 5.14 branch is still in early stages, but the development teams have been busy integrating it into the OpenSUSE builds. Bugs have been identified and most of them fixed, so it's possible to build projects against Qt 5.14. One of the most user-visible features in the implementation for scaling for high DPI displays that was mostly rewritten in hardware acceleration for Qt Quick using the new abstraction layer. It can also take advantage of the Vulkan API. Well, there are a lot of exciting developments around OpenSUSE, between all the snapshots, new versions of Qt and Plasma, Leap 15.2 coming down, and uh, I guess the name change too, if, if that excites you. I am truly grateful for you carving out about 13 minutes of your time as I pontificate my thoughts on tech. Tune in next time when I forget what high DPI is and confuse Wayland with Vulcan and wish for more Star Trek references to work their way into Linux. See yas! <laughs>